continuing our uh, series in Colossians. This is week four in Colossians. We'll be in chapter two if you wanna go ahead and turn there now. And we're just gonna dive right into the text. Is that okay? Does that sound good to everybody? You with me? You have a Bible. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there, Colossians 2, or use your phone. We'll have some verses on the screen. I am gonna cheat a little bit and go back to some of last week's passage, and I'll even reference some of next week's passage. I'm gonna try not to trespass too much, but I just need, we need the context for a few things. So we're gonna start in 2, verse 11. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in this uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a, a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belonged to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This is our passage today. Have you ever been in a car accident? <laughs> yeah? Uh, so my, Kirby, my wife, got in a car accident in, uh, at the end of April. It was like three days before we were going to start our sabbatical. We went on sabbatical this summer. And, um, and it basically took the whole sabbatical for the vehicle to get repaired and back in our possession. So for much of the summer, we were in a rental, which actually worked out really well because we got to use someone else's car uh, that the kids could destroy all summer while we were on sabbatical. And then we just got ours back to resume regular life. It was perfect. I recommend getting an act. If you're going to take an extended time away, get in a car wreck. Then let insurance know. So, but I don't know if you've been in a car accident and had to do the insurance thing and the repair thing. There's so many parties involved in the process and so many layers to the process. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy, actually. So you have you, if you're driving the vehicle. If it's a collision with another vehicle, you have the driver of the other vehicle. You have, maybe there are witnesses that would say, oh yeah, I saw what happened. That person turned when they shouldn't have or whatever. So you have them, you have the police officer that shows up on the scene, writes a police report. You have your insurance company, you have their insurance company, and sometimes you can only, you, you can just use one, but if you want the process to go faster and it wasn't your fault, you might need to go through your insurance company and file, open a claim there, and then they connect with the other insurance company, and then they're talking on your behalf, and you don't even know what ha is happening with the conversation. So you have that. Then you have the repair shop, 
And then for us, we actually, we got our car towed. It wasn't drivable. We got towed to the collision center of the dealership that we bought it from. But then that wasn't what the insurance company wanted to use. So you had to get towed to another uh, collision center from there. And then they were all, I wasn't even talking. It was like, y'all just work it out and it'll be fine. So that's nine parties involved potentially. It could be more. Um, and, and how many layers deep does the conversation go? How many layers up do you have to go? It gets, it gets pretty complicated. Um, and, and what we're reading here in this passage, and the point that Paul is making, and the question that needs to be answered in this passage is how many layers deep does your faith have to go? How complicated is this thing supposed to be? How many layers deep does it need to go? How many parties have to be involved in an, a life of authentic faith in and following of Jesus? How many parties have to be How many layers deep? How many parties involved? And the answer to that question, clearly here in this passage and through much of the New Testament and much of Paul's teaching is one layer. It's one layer deep. It's the layer of you and God. It doesn't get more complicated than that. And how many parties are involved? Two, you and God. Now, that doesn't mean that you're meant to be a little faith island out there floating around on the seas of Atlanta or wherever you call home. No, we do this in community. The entire New Testament is written in the context of community. This letter is written to a church full of people. We do this thing together in community, right? But you boil it all down, you break it all down, the heart of the New Testament, the heart of God, for his people then, the heart of God for you. And I mean, as I've just been in prayer for our church, not just in preparation for this sermon, but just, God, what are you doing in, in my life, in our ministry, in the world right now? What all I really want for myself and for anyone else is individuals, your individual life, you in a deep, personal intimate relationship with God. That's it. And there's, it's a complicated world we're living in. There's all sorts of questions to answer. There's pressure to have a whole lot of things figured out. Even what we just did in reading about the war taking place on the other side of the world, like you might feel the pressure, I gotta figure out all, and, and do your homework, read the history, figure, you know, go on that journey. But like, is there a pressure to just, in every part of your life to just, there's always something that makes things more complicated that you need to be on the right side of. And when we're talking about your faith, it is prof it's actually profoundly simple. It's not simplistic. Not simple meaning there's not much to it. It's profoundly simple, meaning that the one thing we're talking about goes deeper than you realize and higher than you realize and wider than you realize. In fact, you can go down that well forever and never reach the bottom of it. That well is the well of the love of God in relationship with Jesus. And so um, that, that's, my, that's, the, that's it for today. That's the big idea. <laughs> I'm gonna call for the band. No, that's, that's where we're going. The big idea. And, and we're gonna get into what, what is happening in this community, why Paul's writing these words in this way in just a minute. But the, the big idea here is that for them then, and I think for many of us now, the temptation is to trade 
one belief system for another as we seek to live a real life of faith or spirituality or whatever language anyone's putting on it, to trade one belief system for another, to trade one set of religious practices for another, to trade one kind of complicated or complex thing for something else that's kind of complicated and complex that maybe feel like you're trading up. And that's not the case. The invitation is to lay down the complications and enter into that intimate, personal relationship. Um, Otherwise, we end up interacting with new ways of talking and thinking about God and new ways of worshiping God. And we, we actually could miss just interacting with God. Um, and this is, this is a challenge for us even today. Um, so let's get into this. What's happening here? And, and part of the reason I wanted to get back into verse 11, um, I'm, that was part of last week's passage, uh, is there is a movement across uh, a few passages here in chapter two and getting into chapter three. And I want us to see the context and see the movement. Um, but there's this word that keeps showing up and maybe you even like shifted in your seat a little bit as I read it. <laughs> and it's the word circumcision. And it's just there in the text. It's across the New Testament. It's basically everywhere. If you read the Bible, you're gonna see this word a whole lot. And you're either gonna just gloss over it because you're going, I don't even know what to make of that. Or you're going to go, this is a little awkward. Why are they talking about this so much? Um, but let's just, let's just all say it together. Circumcision. <laughs> uh, we have to talk about it because this actually is the, probably the biggest issue facing the New Testament church of the first century. The question of do Gentiles, non-Jewish people across the Roman Empire who are putting their faith in Jesus, do they have to get circumcised in order to now be in the fold, in order for it to count, in order to fully belong, in order to have the real thing? Do they have to get circumcised? And that was a question that had to be answered by the leaders of the church in the first century. And the decision that they made would affect the direction of this whole thing that we're a part of in one direction or another. And the answer they came up with was no, no, nope. Uh, Attached to that was the rest of the Old Testament laws, especially the food laws. So there were very, very specific laws around what you can eat, what you can't eat. And that was in question as well. Do the Gentiles who are putting their faith in Jesus, do they have to adopt all the stuff? Do they have to be now baptized into the system that exists in order for this to be the real thing? Or is faith in Jesus enough? Do you have to adopt a whole new system of belief in order for this Jesus thing to really count? And so much of Paul's writings actually are to to the churches. A lot of his letters to the churches are addressing this question in one way or another. Um, The the idea of circumcision, for us today, that word, when we think about it, it's just like a medical idea, right? And if, even if it's a question mark in your mind, like, should you have your child circumcised or not? It's like probably just a personal, either medical or philosophical question that you answer and it's like nobody's business and you just move on with your life, right? That's the context that we live in um, around this word. And I'm not gonna tell you, I, we all mostly probably know what it means. If you don't, just Google it. I'm not gonna explain it to you right now. Uh, don't use a work computer, I don't know. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, somewhere. Okay, so the reason this mattered, though, in the Old Testament was this practice entered the conversation in the Old Testament as a rite or a ritual that was a sign of the people of Israel being set apart from all the other peoples of the world for God. So it was, it was present, it was the, the Israelites were the only people who did this. And for them, it was a sign that they belonged to God, that they were set apart. And it was symbolic of something had been removed and it was like a kind of a purification symbol, if you will. And so there are times throughout the Old Testament where the, where the law was kind of abandoned, the people drifted from God, and then they would wake up to God in one way or another. And part of the repentance, if they hadn't been practicing this, was like, everybody gets circumcised. <laughs> and it was a sign of, we belong to God, we're his. He is our God, we are set apart from the nations. We don't worship their gods, we don't worship their idols, we don't, we're not tangled up in all that stuff. We, our hearts are, are solely his, right? And our lives are solely his. And you enter into the New Testament, and what Paul is saying here is he's saying, he's saying you were circumcised in verse 11 with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. You were circumcised in your hearts. This is the language that Paul uses in other letters. It's a setting apart internally. So the, much of the movement from Old Testament to New Testament is a movement from external things to internal things. God called the people to, to do external practices as a sign that they were setting themselves apart for him throughout the Old Testament. And then the work becomes deeply, personally internal, and a person's heart can actually be changed. Ezekiel says, God says through Ezekiel, I'm gonna take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh, a heart that's tender and responsive to me, an actual inner transformation. And much of Paul's point here later on in the passage is, is that all of the work, all the stuff, all the trying to get the, the details of the law right, that does nothing to change a heart, to transform a person. The point he's making is, um, by Christ, your heart has been circumcised. You are a people set apart for God based on what God has done inside you and that you were you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead verse 13 you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh God made you alive with Christ he forgave us our sins I'm gonna pause there so the this idea of The external to the internal work, there's a shift that's taking place, and Paul is going to great lengths to make the point. Um, you don't have to continue to obey these practices of the Old Testament. Why is this relevant? Well, that's because, bless you, that's because you've got these Gentile believers across the Roman Empire who are coming from a polytheistic background. They're not Jewish, right? But the, the, the Christian movement began in Jerusalem. It began with Jewish people, the Israelites. It began with people coming from that particular background following Jesus, like the disciples were all Jewish, right? Jesus was Jewish, like this, it begins here in this epicenter of this faith, but then it expands 
pretty quickly as persecution strikes the church and then the, the apostles and the Christians have to flee and go out across the Roman Empire and then the message of Jesus continues to move and grow. And I don't know that anyone fully expected it to do what it did in the years following them expanding out of Jerusalem. But now you have all these people who have no background, no context around the Old Testament law or any of that stuff. They're just hearing about Jesus, being transformed by him, getting baptized in his name, and churches are forming. And Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. This is his calling. He talks about that, and he is on a mission. His entire life is about make it simple. Boil it down. Take the burdens off when he says, I'm suffering, earlier in chapter two, I am suffering for you, I am struggling for you, that's what he's, su- he, is, he is giving his entire life so that new people could come to faith and come awake to God and not have extra burdens put on them. But what was happening is there are these, uh, in Jerusalem, groups of believers, followers of Jesus who come from a Jewish background who believed that the Gentiles needed to practice all the stuff. So they would send people out to these different Roman cities with a message saying, hey, welcome, so glad you're here. Now, um, I'm here to tell you about the next steps, and that is uh, this whole section. Well, I turned right to the Old Testament. That was amazing. I couldn't do that again if I had a thousand more chances. Lord! I lost my spot now, though. (laughs) Um, We'll get there. That was awesome. Hey, you got this whole, all this stuff you need to learn about, and we should read and learn about the Old Testament, right? But now you need to obey all this, and the thing just gets way complicated and way heavy. And, and Paul is vehemently opposing the message of what he calls the Judaizers, who are coming from Jerusalem to try to turn Gentile converts to Jesus to like Jewish followers of Jesus. And he is adamant that they are wrong, and that it, it needs to stay simple. In Galatians, in fact, he says, this is Paul talking. He says, I wish they would go the whole way and castrate themselves. Them who say you need to be circumcised. This is bold language, okay? And he's, he's saying, he me, he, he's obviously figurative language, but he means the intensity that he's speaking with and saying, oh, it's not, don't go back. Don't add on what you have is enough. So much of what Colossians is about is what you have is enough. Continue in him. Continue in Christ. Have you ever felt like you were like late to the party? Like you showed up and you're trying to figure out like, what do I need to do to, you know, fit in around here? I, uh, I'm, my family and I, we moved across the country when I was uh, in middle school. Moved to, from Metro Atlanta to Southern California. And, um, and I, I, really resonated with Southern California culture and serving all that stuff as a 12-year-old boy. But I also did some work to assimilate. Um, and I don't know if has anyone ever moved as a child and you're like, I'm gonna fit in. You may not recognize me, mom and dad, but I will fit in around here. And so I, I assimilated into Southern California culture and we were, ended up only living there for a year. So we came back, moved into the, back into the same house. I got back on the same school bus, sat down with my same old friends at the beginning of eighth grade. And they're like, what are you doing back here, man? And I, I looked around and I was like, oh, everybody's like wearing, this phenomenon had taken place in the year that I was gone and that was the emergence of Abercrombie and Fitch. And I'm like, what is this? What are these shirts everybody's wearing with the words down the sleeves, the long sleeves in August? Why are you wearing those? And, and I'm like, I guess I have to wear this shirt. This is to, everyone that was cool in sixth grade is wearing these now in eighth grade. 
And I'm like, I don't even like these shirts. But do I, is this what I have to do? Is this part of the welcoming committee? Now, I ended up, I worked at Abercrombie Fitch when I was in high school for a hot minute. That's another story for another time. They never let me be one of the shirtless people. That's all I'll say about that. Um, you might have just got here. Let me put you at ease. What you have is enough. If you got Jesus, what you have is enough. Welcome. That's Paul's message to these new churches. And, and Colossae wasn't a city center. It wasn't uh, Ephesus. It was actually like you go to Ephesus to get to Colossae. It's a little, that's why Paul hadn't been there. Um, and maybe they even felt a little like, are we like keeping up with what's happening in this thing, you know, in the more uh, urban happening places? You have, what you, you have what you need. You have everything you need. You don't need to add to it. You don't need another layer. You don't need another party. You're right where you're supposed to be. The gospel of Jesus is profoundly simple. Not simplistic, profoundly simple. And, and the thing that's been in my heart throughout this series, this is just, I'm just gonna go here for a minute, is I think there's some of us who maybe you've been in this thing for a while, and, um, and God is calling you back to some simple love that defined your life in a previous season of your life. You don't need a new revelation. You don't need, you actually don't need a new practice. And we'll talk about some rhythms and practices and stuff and if we'll get practical today, but you don't actually need anything new. He might be calling you back to something old in your own life and and he's, the, the, the message for you is he's still, he's just right here. He's right here. And um, I'll circle back on this towards the end. But he might be, he might be calling you back to simplicity. So the movement that we see here, though, is Paul is saying, hey, you're hearing that you have to do a bunch of stuff to have the whole thing and the real thing and to really belong here. But then Paul says, no, 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 God did it. Anything that needed to get done, God did. And that's what verses 13, 14, and 15 are. He made you alive when you were dead. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. He disarmed the powers and authorities. Um, and, and this is interesting. I want to get Bible nerdy for a minute or theological nerdy for a minute. Some of you guys won't care. Some of you will think it's helpful. Some will love it. And, um, and that is, there, there's um, this word atonement that comes up in some of these conversations in the New Testament. So there are, uh, across Orthodox Christianity, there are, there are some kind of universal doctrines that are believed by, uh, you know, across denominations and all that kind of stuff. There's a universal doctrine of the Trinity, the, the mystery of the Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons in one um, inviting us into this divine dance. It's a mystery. We can't quite grasp it, but we're invited to experience God and his mystery, right? There's a universal doctrine across orthodoxy, if you will. You tracking with me? Yeah? Uh, then there's the, the doctrine of the incarnation. This is the belief that Jesus is God in flesh, right? And so when Jesus is born and living and doing his ministry and dying and resurrecting, he was fully God and fully man. So he wasn't just some spiritual being who is God, but he was fully human, 
fully actually suffered and literally resurrected and that he, uh, he was fully God. He wasn't just some guy with some good ideas about God, right? That's the, the mystery and the doctrine of the incarnation. That's universally agreed upon throughout orthodoxy as well. There isn't a universal doctrine of the atonement, though, across orthodoxy. There are, what we have are, are a lot of different motifs or models or metaphors of atonement throughout the New Testament that sometimes different groups like choose one. They're like, this one's ours, and that's fine, but there actually isn't one that is the agreed upon, am I, am I, I'll stop with the theological nerdiness right now. But the, what I love here is that several of these metaphors and models of atonement exist in these, right here in these verses. And atonement speaks to what, the thing that God did on the cross. What did God accomplish on the cross in Jesus? We know that he saved us. We know that our sins are forgiven. We know that there's a new creation. We know that, but like, what happened? How did it, what's the mechanism? That's sort of the atonement conversation. And I just don't know that we're supposed to be able to answer that easily, honestly. Um, but we have lots of different pictures throughout the New Testament about um, kind of different angles on it. And several of those angles are here. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. Many would say that's the law itself. Here's all the places you missed it. That thing, Paul is saying, symbolically is nailed to the cross with Jesus. That thing is dead. Any charge against you and the ways you've missed it, gone. So that script you're carrying in your mind, God's not carrying that. That is nailed to the cross. Then in verse 15, he disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is this motif of like spiritual warfare, that whatever the, the authorities in the world that rule, that reigned in the world throughout human history, they, they've been disarmed by Jesus' triumph on the cross. And Paul even says in chapter one that he rescued us in verse 13 from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loved. There's a transfer of from one, being under one authority to another, which brings liberation for you, and, and the goal is for all humanity, right? And so whatever that is, that motif of, 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 of authority and power and war, and we still see it, right? There's just like, what is animating all the brokenness in the world? And we don't have answers for it all the time, but something happened on the cross, and when we pray, come Lord Jesus, it, it means something, right? It also speaks to the, the powers of, of humanity, the power of, of nations, the power of Rome, and, and, and it's sort of this reversal. I love this, that Jesus on the cross, it was like he was a public spectacle, and there's even the mocking words of, G, of, of king of the Jews nailed up there with him. And it was meant as mockery, but it ended up being true. And what Paul is saying is, is that by being... <laughs> a public spectacle of defeat. God made a public spectacle of the powers and authorities because it's by the cross that he's actually victorious. So there's this paradox of the cross. Why are we talking about this? All of it is to say, God did it. God did it. Paul says in Romans, what the law was powerless to do, God did. So there's therefore now no condemnation. So what else do you need? What else do you need? And Paul's saying, you don't need to be circumcised. <laughs> He's like, why are we even talking about this? <laughs> With all of this that God has done, why are we even talking about it? You don't need to like not eat shrimp, like eat some shrimp. Like it's like, what, what's the, and it's, we laugh because it's not most, probably most of our context, but 
we can apply this in all sorts of different ways. What do you feel the pressure to add to your faith, your simple faith in Jesus, in order for it to really count? What messages have come to you? The, the real revelation, the deeper revelation, and Paul talks a little bit about this. He's like, people who go into great detail about what they've seen and heard, just keep it simple, man. And for them, he's saying, you don't need to Practice a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are, he's like, these weren't part of your life originally. Do you need to be, you need to be baptized into this whole new system and adopt all these new things? No. Jesus is with you in your context, so you keep being Colossian and watch how Jesus lives through you there as a Colossian. You keep being you and watch how Jesus lives through you. Now, Paul also, as part of this movement, makes sure that we don't hear his words and they don't hear his words to think, oh, great, there's no rules. So anything goes? Love this. Love this, Jesus. He's, no. The point he's making is that following the law, those external things, it does nothing to uh, the last verse, verse 23. It says nothing to restrain sensual indulgence, but then he says, he says, in verse five, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, put those things to death. So what's the movement? The movement is this. God did it, therefore, you don't need to add anything to it. Therefore, live as a person who's set apart for God. You don't have to do anything to make yourself be set apart. God set you apart. Therefore, live as one set apart. And that's a process. That's a journey that Jesus leads us on. And that's part of our spiritual growth, formation, discipleship, all that stuff. You guys still with me? Is this good? Oh, this is a good one, I know. All right. Um, time is it. Yeah, band, come up. <laughs> I want to get practical for you as we do that. Um, so where do disciplines and practices and rhythms and all that stuff fit into this if it's not about... Um, if, if, if those things aren't the point, well, there are all sorts of ways to pray or read or journal or meditate or reflect or sit or whatever that can aid in your intimacy with God. The point, with God, uh, the, point of the whole thing is, is that personal, intimate life with God, uh, but sometimes that's hard to access because... Life is complicated, not because God's distant. Life's just complicated, and sometimes it can feel hard. So there's all sorts of things that can help. Uh, Dallas Willard uh, famously said, grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Right? You don't have to earn it. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. But where does effort play in? Grace, if, if you put a little effort into your just practices within the context of grace, that's you showing up to your life. And that word, show up, Write it down. That's it for today. What's the, what do we, where do we go from here? We just show up. I heard a preacher say years ago, talking about prayer, talking about just life in God, that you don't have to be good at it. You just have to show up. That deeply impacted me as a young person. You don't have to, you don't have to be good. At, maybe you feel like you're not good at spiritual stuff. You're not good at, you're not one of the graced, blessed few who just get it and it becomes easy or whatever. Just all you have to do is show up though. And you figure out what it really looks like for you 
as you relate to God. But you just, you have to show up. You can't, it, it doesn't work if you don't show up. You just show up. I, I dated a girl in high school who slept through a date one time, as in didn't show up to the date because she fell asleep. And I, I remember uh, talking to some friends later that night because uh, I was like, guys, I won't be around. I'm going on a date. And then I hung out with my friends. <laughs> and my friend was like, I don't know if she's into you, man. <laughs> she wasn't. <laughs> Relationship requires showing up. Requires show- you just got to show up. Showing up is, is physical. It means putting time in. There's no quantum leaps in spirituality. It takes time. But that time is beautiful. But it's physical. It means sometimes going to a different place, moving your body somewhere else. Anybody ever laid in bed and said, God, I'm just going to meet with you? Did you fall asleep? <laughs> Done it recently. It's fine. <laughs> but... Sometimes you got to move your body to a place of prayer, a posture of prayer. It, it's just practical. You're not earning something with it. It's just knowing I'm going to fall asleep if I don't. Showing up. You've been set apart. So live as one set apart. The way that you grow in love with God as you continue to set your life apart. You set time apart, you set space apart. I invite you to stand with us. Um, practically this week, one of the opportunities is we are doing a week of 24 seven prayer. So if you're around here in the city, you'll, you'll hear all the information about how to engage, but there's stuff happening physically here during the week or slots to sign up for throughout the night. Come join us in 24 seven prayer. In this moment, though, let's let this moment be a moment that is set apart. Jesus. We don't have to jump through hoops to get to you. You've already walked through hell to get to us. Repentance takes a second. It's shorter. Turning. Gosh, some of us, some, some of us in the room today, you feel distant from God and, you, and there's a voice in your head that says, it's gonna be a long uphill walk to get back where you were. No, you just no, just turn right now to him and he's right there and there you are. He's right here. He's right here. He's not here to condemn you. He might be here to say, I miss you. I miss you. Here we are. Jesus, help us make it simple, profoundly simple. Walking in the love of a loving Father. Let that love transform us and change us. Let us, help us trust you to work out all the details with us as we walk, as we go. And where we misstep, and where we miss it, where we fumble or falter or fail, Help us to believe that you're right there with us, taking us back up, continuing the journey step by step. We thank you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.